You're about to listen to the audio recording of a live show which contained visual elements, including charts, slides, and the occasional daggy dance moves. To make sure you don't miss out on the visual elements that accompany this audio, head on over to bettersystemtrader.com YouTube and feast your eyes on the complete interview plus many others. Oh, and don't forget to like and subscribe so you don't miss out on any future trading content that gets released. Now on to the show. Welcome to Better System Trader, the podcast to help systematic traders of all levels improve their trading. We'll give you loads of expert tips and practical advice on system design and validation, money management, trading psychology, and many other topics. Whether you're just starting out or a savvy systematic trader, we're here to help you improve your trading and find more success. This is Better System Trader with your host, Andrew Swanscott. Well, hello and welcome. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. It's uh, morning here, Monday morning, and uh, it's a bit of a cloudy day. I just got back from a walk, actually. It's a little bit humid, but uh, um, here we are. Glad you could join us. We've got uh, an excellent guest uh, joining us today. We're going to be talking about overcoming broken strategies, which is a, uh, a very uh, applicable uh, topic to uh, systematic traders. And joining us today, we have Marston Park. Now, Marston, welcome, Marston. Thank you. Now, Marston is an unknown market wizard, which we're going to, uh, well, I should maybe say not so unknown market wizard now, which we're going to dig into today. And uh, he's had a lot of experience in the markets, 20 plus years. And, um, you know, he's done a lot of interesting things to adapt to the market and overcoming broken strategies. So uh, I'm really good to, I'm really glad to have you here today, Marston. Welcome. How about we, how about we start with some background on yourself? Um, can you give us a little bit of an intro into how you got started in the markets and what markets you trade? Sure. Uh, I had no interest in the markets whatsoever uh, until I was in my 30s. I, I opened my first brokerage account when I was 36. Um, and that was because I had started a software company with a few other people and we went public in 1996. So I had, I had stock and um, once it became um, you know, unrestricted out of the lockout period, I, I I would need to diversify and and then do something with the, uh, the investment. So I opened a brokerage account, um, and I watched our our stock every day. Obviously, I had a, a lot of interest in uh, you know knowing what my net worth was every day. So, <laughs> and and just through the process of watching it every day, I started asking myself, well, I wonder why the price changes. I mean, I didn't. I literally knew nothing, but I so I started watching other stocks. And this was the late 90s, so people were talking about stocks all the time and gradually got into it. Um, and it didn't take me very long to realize that I wanted to uh, to find a systematic approach to managing my money that I had gotten from the IPO and not to um, to try to you know have to make the investment decisions uh, ad hoc, but to, mm -hmm. to come up with a process or, or a strategy of some sort. And it Took me a while. Yeah, I won't go through the whole long history of how I did that. Uh, but um, before before too long, since I'm a software developer, I ended up starting to build uh, backtesting software and, and use it to develop the kind of strategies I wanted to trade, and um, been kind of doing that ever since. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, now, you know, trading from the '80s and the '90s, you've obviously seen uh, there's been some interesting market environments over that 
course of time. So, um, you know, logic would say that you would have you would have had to adapt, which we're going to uh, dig into uh, deeper today. But firstly, um, why? So, as I mentioned, you're an uh, undiscovered market wizard, which is a reference to Jack Swagger's uh, new, not new book. It's been out for a while. Uh, latest book, maybe I should say. Um, so, can you explain a little bit about why? Uh, Jack decided to feature you in that book. Yeah, I I actually didn't know he was working on a new book um, until sometime around the middle of 2019. And I got an email out of the blue from um, uh, Mark Ritchie II, who's I think his father is featured in one of the early Market Wizard books, saying, I'm trying to help Jack Schwager find people for his new book and your name was recommended to me. Um, and it turns out uh, I was recommended to Mark by Pradeep Bond, who runs a website called Stockbee, uh, which is an excellent educational site for discretionary trading, which I've been a member of. I think I'm the only systematic trader there, but I've been a member of that site since 2013 and met a lot of great people there. Mm. Um, but anyway, Pradeep was kind enough to uh, to recommend me, and I guess he recommended one or two others too, but they didn't want to be in the book. But I thought, sure, why not? I'll be in the book if Jack wants me to. And the, and I luckily had very good records of my my trading over all those years, which is Jack's requirement. Um, yeah. And as it says at the start of my chapter, my stats were just barely good enough, but <laughs> he was interested in the fact that I'm um, systematic. So here yeah. it is. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, I think uh, we've got a slide actually that um, shows your stats. So maybe we'll have a quick look at that so that we can get some context around your journey over the years. So let me just get that one up on the screen here. Okay. So what are we looking at here? This is this is actually uh, my actual uh, you know daily trading results for my entire trading career since 1998 until now, mm. um, and you know, from this aerial view, it looks like a smooth equity curve, but um, but actually there are some pretty significant drawdowns in there, which I think one of the subsequent slides will show. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, so and, the and I, I, be, because of the timing of, um, you know, I had especially good results in the early 2000s when the S&P didn't. So I basically developed a big lead on it back then. Uh, you know, if you just if you take the excerpt of this since '09, I'm not quite so far ahead of it, but I am still ahead of it. Mm, yeah. So obviously, the blue line is is your uh, account equity, and the orange one is the it uh, was that say SPY. Yep. Yeah, that's S SPY. Yep. Yeah, and by time by time weighted return, I mean you know this it, it, it's uh, basically the the daily percent change in account. So it it, it mm. factors out withdrawals because I trade for a living. Uh, I mean, th this the this is since I, I left my job at the end of '97, and uh, so I completely supported my family from this income. So uh, mm. therefore, there were a lot of account withdrawals. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's have a look at the drawdowns then, because uh, I can see one there around. Uh, looks like about 2015, 2016. I know we've got a slide. And that's so let me, the bad one. That's the big one. Okay, so it's pr it's pretty obvious from this chart where it is. Um, yeah, yeah. So what was so what was happening around that time that caused that that drawdown? Well, it's sort of a long story, but uh, in summary, I I had um, 
changed my my approach basically from for, for, for 15 years or so from the beginning I was trading um, breakouts I would buy breakouts and short breakdowns so it was kind of short-term trend following um, and the pr- approach I was using more or less stopped working um, around 2013 and I discovered the meaner version approach and um, added that at the end of 2013 I traded them in parallel in 2014 uh, the mean reversion approach did so well that I decided to just drop the old strategies and put all my eggs in the mean reversion basket in 2015. And I, and I, I just had no clue. So I, I hmm. it seemed to, to just make money so easily and consistently. So I actually even leveraged it up a bit. Um, and then there were a few bad drawdowns uh, or you know, bad periods for the strategy, one for the short side, one for the long side. Um, and then one for both sides um, from basically like June 2015 until January 2016. Uh, so uh, had had some bad losses in there and um, mm-hmm. shut everything down for a few months. And I actually had almost quit trading, but then I um, so now I've invested a lot in this. I, I'll come up with a more conservative approach and I've done pretty well since then. Mm, yeah. All right. Well, if we can dig in a little bit more into the impact that that drawdown had on you uh just looking at the charts it's kind of small on my screen it looks like about 40 45 percent drawdown um right now now you just mentioned that you quit trading for a while but can you talk about the the impact that had on your life uh going through that drawdown and then you know quitting trading for a while What, what did that how did that impact you and your family and your loved ones and things like that um yeah well i mean it it made it made me kind of question uh, my my whole decision to to quit my job fifteen years earlier and trade. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of unusual. It's an unusual path, I think, where where somebody leaves their job to trade full time, does fairly well from the start, continues to do consistently well for fifteen years, and then suddenly everything falls apart. Um, <laughs> but it could happen to anyone. Um, you know, and, and so at that point, I'm I'm in my. I mean, now I'm I'm uh, sixty, but I, I was in my mid fifties, and um, you know, hadn't worked for twenty years. So even though I had I had a very nice uh, resume as a software engineer in the nineties and eighties, um, I couldn't get hired very easily. I I did actually you know contact some former colleagues and consider going back to to that work, and um, didn't really go anywhere. Um, mm. So I I just decided to redouble my efforts on trading and also to um, take my own software that I had been using all these years and and uh, kind of gut it and do a major overhaul and and really polish it to a to a much higher level uh, to potentially market it. So I'm, I'm doing that now as well. Mm. Um, although it's you know that that's kind of a income wise that's that's just a small thing, but um, I enjoy having people use my software. So, yeah, yep. So, going from um, uh, from not trading to back into trading, what did you do? Was there a specific catalyst, or was there some steps that you had to take to kind of, I guess, heal the wounds and get back into the market? So, how did you how did you manage that? It was it was mostly the passage of time. I mean, mm. I, I I completely stopped. I you know, canceled a bunch of data services and subscriptions and so on. And I just thought I was done. And, um, 
I didn't go so far as to close my brokerage account, but um, I think I moved most of the money out of it and into my savings account and just just kind of did other things uh, for a while. And um, a few months passed, and then I just I I kept thinking about uh, you know trading and systems, and I just started dabbling in the backtesting software again and um, trying some things and. Uh, you know, the, 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 the mean reversion strategies I had developed were, were still good. I just had traded them too aggressively. Um, I modified them a little, uh, traded them more conservatively. Um, and the, and then I also made a plan. I've always had, had a system stop the whole time I've been trading of, of 20% drawdown, which means I, you know, I need to at least pause and reconsider what I'm doing and, uh, try to understand why the drawdown occurred maybe change a few things. So I've generally done that. Um, but th so this time I made the system stop more conservative as well. I said, if, if I have a 10% loss from the beginning or a 15% loss from a, from a future peak, assuming I do I make money, uh, I'll stop again. Um, so that actually didn't happen, but, uh, knowing that, that that was the plan helped. And I, I, I actually wrote a whole kind of trading plan or business plan for my new trading endeavor, which I had never done before. Mm. But um, I think that was useful. Yeah. So did you did you have that 20% system stop in place when that drawdown occurred? Or was that after? Um, you know, I, I, I kind of always had it in the back of my mind in the past and observed it in the past. But uh, that particular time, I just it, I just, I didn't, I kept going. I kept thinking, oh, it's going to, it's going to come back soon. It's going to come back soon. And it, you know, there, that drawdown wasn't one move from the top to the bottom. It, it had some recovery periods and then some further failure periods and so on. Mm, yeah. So, um, yeah. Yeah. So you haven't, uh, looking at the, um, equity curve we just shared, it doesn't look like you've had to test that 20%, um, stop. Uh, since then, do you think you'll stick to it this no, time? No, there was one. There was one that was pretty close, but right, um, okay, but it wasn't really. I mean, it, it's not a. It's not like you can like put a hard stop in your brokerage account. Saying, I don't know, maybe some brokers have that. Mm. Prevent me from trading when I'm when I reach this loss level. Yeah, yeah. I know prop shops have that, but that's a different thing. Yeah, yeah. So I wanted to um uh, kind of dig it dig into this a little bit more at the strategy level now. I just got a question here in the chat. I'll just put it up on the screen, which um, it's just a clarification on the drawdown we were just talking about. One sec. From Yen Trader. G'day, Yen Trader. Welcome. Was the 45% was the drawdown on the compounded balance with only draw money? Sorry, I've just misread that completely. Were the profits compounded? Was the 45% drawdown on the compounded balance um, with only money to live on taken out um the, those the, the data that was shown in the previous two charts is um based on um time weighted returns so uh in real life i don't compound i mean i i, I do compound on a kind of a daily basis and every day i'm trading with whatever is in my account um but in 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 practice with the withdrawals it doesn't end up looking like pure compounding you know because you have to pay taxes on your gains as well as living expenses and so on so yeah um 
Yeah, sure. Okay. So um, let's look at it now um, at a little bit more detail at the, the strategy level. Now, you, you've uh, indicated you were trading mean reversion up until that drawdown, but you know, obviously over the 20 years, um, you've used uh, quite a few different styles of trading and you've adjusted them as, as you've gone. Can you just um, give us a quick uh, indication of how your trading style has uh, adapted over time and you know what type of styles you, you're using exclusively now? Sure. Um, although, I mean, in a, in a way I've been, let me start with the similarities. The, the, there's some things that have been constant the entire time I've traded. Um, one is that it's it's U.S. stocks, it's U.S. common stocks only. I don't trade futures, I don't trade options, I don't mm. trade anything else. Uh, ETFs, it's just U.S. common operating company stocks, um, and I've always traded both sides. I uh, kind of decided from the beginning I I didn't want to just bet in one direction. I wanted to have a long strategy and a short strategy, um, and my typical holding period is is uh, only a few days, so it's a what you would call swing trading, I guess. Yeah. Um, and um, you know, typically maybe a thousand round trip trades a year. So what? No matter what type of strategies I've used, they've always been within those sort of parameters. Um, now, the when I first started, I, I learned a, a method of breakout trading from. Um, a guy named Gary B. Smith, who was writing a column for the street.com at the time called Technician's Take. Uh, and he, that column appealed to me because he talked about his process and his trading rules. And, you know, it seemed like, it, it seemed like a system. It was kind of a semi-discretionary, semi-mechanical system. And uh, I started corresponding with him and uh, we eventually became trading partners. And um, so I was using that strategy and, and be, had developed a fully automated version of it by 2000. Um, and th that approach is what I did basically up until 2012 or 13, uh, which is um, you're buying a breakout on, on unusual volume in a strong stock that's been in consolidation recently. It's just that, you know, it's probably the, the first setup everybody learns, right? Mm. Uh, and the short side is, Similar, uh, although I, I also sh short strong stocks, not weak stocks. So you so you short a breakdown of a strong stock from uh, from consolidation. So um, that that was the basic approach. Uh, what changed over over the first fifteen years was kind of the timing factor. So it, when I first started, I would I would scan for what trades I wanted to make um, after the market close and place the orders before the next open. So I do all my entries at the open. Um, then after, after my first kind of 20% drawdown and retest and reset, I, I came up with realizing that results would be much better if I could do the entries right before the close instead of waiting for the next open, which makes sense if you think about it, because you're, you're capturing the, the gain from all the other people who are buying the open instead. You know, you're, you know, I used to like to say the only edge is being early. And um, so that, that way you're being early a little <laughs> earlier. Uh, so that, that worked for a while. And then that seemed to 
erode, that edge seemed to erode until um, around t- 2005. Um, I couldn't seem to make that one keep working. And uh, I had to do a kind of technology reset and figure out how to incorporate whole market real-time data so I could be be monitoring a lot of symbols all day for my entry signal. Mm. And um, so I did that and started basically, it was the same setup, but I was looking for the entries from right after the open of the breakout day rather than waiting till the next day. Um, and then, and that worked really well um, up until 2013 or so. Um, when, when that seemed to, especially the short side, the short side dramatically failed from about the summer of 2012. Um, that's when people started, uh, focusing on, you know, buying the dip. Um, mm. there's a popular YouTube video about that. Um, <laughs> yeah. BTFD. The, um, <laughs> so, so that basically killed my shorting strategy. It was literally the opposite of uh, uh, other side of my shorts was what that thing was. And, you know, if enough people do something that's the opposite of what you're doing, it's, it's usually not good. Um, mm. and, and that's what led me to look at mean reversion, which is essentially what, you know, BTFD is kind of a mean reversion strategy in a way. Um, yep. And um, so, I, yeah, I, I, I did both in parallel in 2014 and then switched to mean reversion. And then I, I, I did only mean reversion. Even when I restarted in in 2016, I was still only doing meaner version, but in a more conservative way. And then, but I was also looking for other things to add, and I, and I did add, come up with new versions of of um, more short term trend following type strategies to add in, so that I I could have four things running. Um, and then last uh, last July, I added to uh, another. Two pair of strategies, which are meter version with a shorter time frame. They're day trading, uh, day trade strategies. Uh, so mm. now I'm running six. Okay. So when you're explaining um, some of those uh, the evolutions of some of those strategies, it sounds like um, you had an understanding of why the strategy was performing at that time. For example, you said uh, you know getting in earlier seemed to. Uh, give you a, a, a better result during that period of time. Do you think it's important to have an understanding of what the edge is or why a strategy is performing in a, in a way that it's performing at that time? I would say so, at least on some level. I mean, you know, you never really know. And, and in a way, any strategy works because it anticipates what other traders are going to do uh, and gets mm-hmm. you in before they do. Um, it's, but uh, but yeah, I think it's important to to understand why. I mean the the um, the breakout thing I was doing early on is is I think it works because it's so well known. Um, you know, it's the same thing that William O'Neill wrote about in How to Make Money for Stocks, and that invest, Investors Business Daily prints about. And and so you got a lot of people looking for those kind of setups. And if you can be a little quicker than most people and get in front of them, then you, you can do well with it. Um, so that, that worked until it didn't, I mean, and, and mean reversion is a little different. I mean, it just, it just works because you wait until there's been a kind of an extreme imbalance, you know, buy when there's just been an extreme amount of selling and vice versa. Um, 
and that just tilts the odds in your favor a little. But so, so yeah, I think it's important to have some kind of at least a general understanding of, of why it is. You'll never know exactly why something works. Mm, yeah. Yeah. You might if have, there was an exact reason it would work all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you, you made an interesting point uh, a little bit earlier about how you, um, you, you were doing mean reversion, but you were doing shorts using the opposite logic of the long. Is that, is that what you said? Or did I imagine that? I think that's what I you might said. have said something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. The, yeah. the mean, yeah, I mean, the mean reversion short, they, they are the opposite. I mean, the, the mean reversion short is, is shorting stocks that are extremely overbought, uh, which is works really consistently and nicely most of the time, except every now and then it works really badly. Uh, like in January of this year, for example, when um, uh, fortunately this did not occur to me in real life, but I actually have a, an example strategy that comes with my software that would have shorted GameStop and had a horrendous uh, <laughs> loss from that particular mm. trade. Yeah, I, th- I think um, I think generally uh, traders find it more difficult to build mean reversion short strategies than long. Um, now there's some skew in the market, it, it, depending on which markets. But I guess in the stock market you're talking about, why do you think it's so difficult sometimes to build mean reversion short strategies? Well, uh, I mean, some people make the mistake of assuming that you should, because a lot of well-known mean reversion long strategies include a an uptrend, a long-term uptrend filter, like the stock has to be above its 200-day moving average, for example. Mm. And I think the strategies include that filter mainly because uh, it makes back tests work better in 2008. But um, anyway, uh, so so I think a lot of People who look looked for short mean reversion made the mistake of trying to do that in reverse and say, "Oh, it should be in a long term downtrend." Um, but that, then you get, uh, you know, value investors, uh, dip buyers, and so on buying those, so they don't tend to actually make good shorts. Um, so, uh, you know, if something has a short term rally in a downtrend, that's kind of a buy signal for certain certain kind of traders. But whereas when something is making a blow off top after a long uptrend, that's that can be a very good short entry point. So that that's the kind of thing my strategies look for. Yeah, yeah. Now um, I think you uh, when you were um, talking about the strategies you trade now, I think you said you you trade six strategies: a mix of mean reversion and uh, momentum. I guess um, now um, I think that's because you know at times. I mean, reversion works well, as you mentioned, and sometimes it doesn't work so well, but you're hoping that other strategies are going to pick up the slack. I guess, though, the challenge with doing that is how do you know when a strategy's broken compared to whether it's it's just underperforming but it's with its within its expectations? I mean, that's, a, that's always been, a, I guess, a tricky question to answer. How do you approach that? I've never had a good answer to that question. Uh, <laughs> which is ironic since that's the title of this whole podcast. But, uh, <laughs> um, but I mean, I, and I know I've, I've heard some other, um, some other guests you've had even who, who have a very systematic approach to that. I mm-hmm. think even maybe our mutual friend, Kevin Davy is one of them, but um, yep. um, I mean, uh, 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 there's certain things you can look for. If you, if, 
if you have a bigger drawdown than it's ever had in a back test, that's kind of a red flag. Although it's not doesn't necessarily mean it's dead, uh, but it might. Uh, but you know, a drawdown is just a one-time event, so you don't necessarily want to read too much into that. But you know, if you if you if enough time passes and the stats just seem to be like all the stats seem to be in downtrends. Um, that that could be a sign um, that it's broken. I, I don't I don't necessarily have it have it as a binary event where I I run something one way until I say okay now you're broken so now I need to replace it. It's it's more like I'm always tweaking my strategies and making little changes. Um, and um, so I'm you know I might not even notice kind of a it's broken event. Uh, and it's it's typically taken me too long to like with my old shorting strategy, I waited way too long to 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 admit that was broken and shut it down. Mm. Uh, you know, and now in hindsight, I know that it didn't actually come back and start working again. Um, although I've, I've been able to find a kind of a variation on it that that I'm using now is one of my six, but um, but it's it's rather different. Mm. Yep, but. Um, you know, there's a, in other words, there's a fair degree, at least for me, there's quite a bit of intuition involved as well um, in that process. Yeah, yeah. Um, you've prepared a couple of slides, actually, which might be a good time to have a look at it, an example of uncertainty. Shall I bring those up and we can go oh, through? Oh, yeah, sure. You've got some nice examples here. Example. Yeah, uh, let me get, here we go. I think this oh, is yeah. the first so one. Here, yeah. I I um I would this is something I just uh, you know, every now and then I'll go back to the, to the kind of strategies that I traded for my first fifteen years and see if I can come up with versions that that looked good recently and I um you know one 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 thing that I've improved about improved at in recent years is I don't I, I used to have a lot more parameters and do a lot more optimization now I basically. My software includes a really nice optimizer, which I never use. Um, so <laughs> uh, I have just very few parameters and and I'll, I'll just two simple values. But anyway, it, it's the, the the basic concept here. It's a long and a short strategy pair. So it's uh, like the long side is entering, is is looking for a big breakout on high volume, like I used to trade. But it's but then it's entering a on a limit order the next day if, if there's a little pullback after the big breakout. And then, and the short strategies, the, uh, the opposite. It's looking for a big breakdown and, and entering if there's a little bounce mm. uh, on the short side. So, um, you know, and that, they, these, this does better. If I try to test now my, my actual strategies that I used to run in the mid 2000s, the equity curve just slopes downwards. They, they just really don't work anymore. But you know this one is sort of okay. It goes sideways, but still, I mean, if you look at, I mean, I wouldn't add a strategy to my list of things to trade that only makes three percent a year and has a seventeen percent max drawdown, which is what the stats say there. Mm. Um, you know, and this is a ten-year back test, so um, so you know, based on these stats, I would I would reject this. I'd say, okay, good try, but I'm not going to going to trade it. Mm. But as it happens. Go to the next slide. Next slide. Here we go. So, th so this is what happened 
with the, with that exact same strategy over the next year and a half. Um, <laughs> now, to me, what this the main thing this says is that 2020 was a phenomenal year. I mean, it, practically anything I I test worked well in 2020. So um, I think my chapter title is especially applicable for everybody in 2020. But um, so I don't know. Uh, these these um, these look pretty pretty good right now, and even especially in uh, last week, it looks like they made a big. The long side did especially well. Mm. Um, maybe I uh, I'll need to do a little little more research on these. Yeah, but yeah. It, you know that's a tough call. I mean, do you do you trade a strategy that was a dud for ten years and now has done great for the last year? Maybe. Yeah, but but then you have to kind of make a judgment: is it a, is it a regime change or a temporary blip? Mm, yeah, yeah. Uh, do we have some more examples after this one? I don't recall. I think uh, there was some uh, with the yeah. This is yeah. this is that the the example mean reversion shorting strategy that I included in my software, um, mm. and this is how. Uh, now, when you see the dollar figures in the y-axis, it's um, non-compounded. I I won't get into why, but I tend to prefer running back tests without compounding. Um, but anyway, just look at focus on the shape of the equity curve. It doesn't really matter if the numbers are compounded or not. Um, if it was compounded, you'd use a log scale, and then the equity curve would be the same shape. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyhow, it, you know that that's a typical smooth good results of of um of this strategy in most time so this was 95 through 98 uh so you know based on on that and i didn't put the actual stats uh, numeric stats in but it, you know they're they're ones that i would i would say are good enough but then so that does not predict what happened next now of course we know that the 1999 was not going to be a good environment for shorts and and actually you know to its credit this thing didn't get completely clobbered it only maybe lost half the account <laughs> um, but yeah that's that's i mean you can when you when you're not compounding you can just look at the numbers for percent you started with 100k and you ended at 50k so that's a 50 percent drawdown mm. um so Based on that, I mean, if you had just looked at this back test, you'd say, yeah, I'm not going to trade that strategy. And then look at the next slide, which I think shows the com- that's basically the last two slides put together. Right. Um, yeah, so it worked really well, and it worked really badly. Uh, so, so if I was looking at this, I would say that strategy is broken. I'm never going to trade that. Um, and then I would have missed out on the following slide where over the next couple of years it made phenomenal returns i mean it made like right 60% in 2000 and uh 100% in 2001 you get the idea mm. um so sometimes it's hard to tell <laughs> yeah so well so what's the lesson there then <laughs> well, there's a couple of lessons. Mm. First is mean reversion shorting is a 
dangerous game. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, if you use these kind of strategies, you want to, you want to keep the position sizing uh, pretty modest. Um, but then also, I don't know if you included the one with where I put a moving average on the equity curve. Um, but with, with mean reversion strategies, that technique works pretty well, actually. Um, yeah, is that this, this one? is, um, yeah. yeah, that's the one. So this is the same strategy over its, over the entire time from 95 till the present. Um, where the, the orange line is the, the raw strategy and the blue line is the strategy using its own equity curve, uh, 300 day average as an on off switch. Um, so it, yeah, it reduced the, the drawdown in, um, uh, late nineties by about half and it completely avoided the, the terrible, uh, drawdown in the start of this year in that particular strategy. So that's, that's something that, that you can play with mm. um, is using a strategy's own equity curve. And I've done that in real life a couple of times. I've, uh, I, I don't have, I don't do it as a kind of rigorous practice, but I, um, I used it as an input that there was uh, a long mean reversion strategy uh, actually in um, early 2020, I was, um, noticing that the results seemed to be deteriorating. And and I looked at the moving average of my equity curve and it had gone below. And I said, okay, I'm just going to turn this off for a while. And it turned out I, I um, avoided some of the losses that, that I would have had in March as a result. So that, that mm. worked out well. Uh, so now I do tend to look at that. Although, you know, I don't, I, I'll use my judgment as well, but it's a, it's a good input. So where did the uh, three hundred day average come from? Why not two fifty or two hundred or five hundred? Actually, they they all work pretty similarly. Right. I I can't even remember why I chose that number. <laughs> because earlier you you made a statement that you've got a great optimizer in your software, but you don't use it. So what's what's your approach to optimizing? Oh, I'll use it occasionally, but um, I mean. What I use the optimizer for is to run through, uh, to pick a key parameter and run through some values and make sure that it's robust. You know that that there's a whole range of values that that all produce acceptable results. Um, and I so I but now I tend to just rather than going through the trouble of adding a named parameter and then putting it in the optimizer, I'll just kind of I'll just type. Uh, type a different constant and hit run again and then type, you know, I'll try like three or four values off the top of my head uh, and do it that way instead. Mm. Um, my backtesting software is extremely fast. So, because for me, I don't know, I might have ADD or something, but I'd like to be able to just work interactively and just try something, see the result, try something, see the result, try something, see the result. And, and have like if it's going to take long enough that I'm going to open a web browser and start reading a blog or something, then that's not good. So, um, <laughs> try to work in that. Get it kind of get into a flow state of of uh, creative research. Yeah, I think that's yeah. important. Yep. Yeah. Okay, we've got quite a few questions in the chat, which I want to get to in a minute. But I've got one more question here. I really want to ask you before we get to that, and it's a a quote from your um, interview with Jack. 
Um, and that quote is, I had developed an understanding that the pace of the markets was speeding up. So um, a couple of questions on this. How, how did you even notice that? And um, what did you, or how did you adapt your trading strategies to that observation? Yeah, that was in particular a reference to, in, in my, my, my original strategies, how, as I mentioned, I had um, at first, it was fine to enter at the next open. And then I realized and that didn't work as well. I had to enter at the close and then that didn't work as well. And I had to enter uh, earlier in the day of the breakout day. Um, so, but, and, and I also specifically observed and, and got confirmation. Somebody explained to me in the early two thousands that the, uh, cause he, he was a trading partner I had then, and he knew someone who worked for a, at a trading desk of a mutual fund. And he said, you know, the, the mutual funds are changing. They're, they're not trading in blocks any. You know, they're not having human traders do big block, their big block trades anymore. They're having algos do it now. And this transition happened, especially in the early 2000s. And by, or coincidentally or not, around 2005, when my end of day uh, entries stopped working. It's around when the, the mutual fund industry had made that transition. So that that's an, I mean, you could call it speeding up in, in that. Uh, although in that case, it's sort of slowing down in a way. But yeah, the the speeding up aspect is also in in terms of um, you know uh, news propag. I mean, a lot of it has to do with the internet, right? I mean, news propagates faster. People react to things sooner. Yeah. Um, uh, and so on. Yeah. So do you see that still uh, speeding up today? I think the markets yeah, are getting... I would, say, I would say so. I mean, I, I think we... I mean, certainly this year we've seen some ridiculously fast, high amplitude, low period period uh, moves. Um, and I, I um, have done well by adding a, a pair of shorter term strategies to my... Uh, to, to my trading since yeah. mid July, um, so I think that's that's a, a further. I mean, I don't know where I'll go from there. I don't think we can all become high frequency traders. So <laughs> yeah. at some point, there's a there's a limit to have to, to the there's a speed limit. But yep, yep, absolutely. All right, thank you uh, very much, Master. Now I've got some questions here in the chat, so I might just pop a couple up and we'll um. We'll have a discussion about them. So we've got one here from Jabba Jaw. Let me put this one up on the screen. G'day, Jabba. Thanks for the question. Do you track previous strategies in case that system comes back in favor? Yes. Um, I'll, I'll do, I definitely will do that. Um, and I used to, I used to do it a lot more. I mean, I used to, um, when I was trading different versions of the breakout strategies, I would keep every single version I had ever traded, you know, which, which were really the same strategy with different parameters for the most part. And I, and I would actually just go through them one by one and see which ones had done well recently and which ones had not. And, um, and that actually helped me gain an appreciation for how much randomness is involved. Um, because I, I, you know, I could see that this version did better, that version did worse, but I couldn't explain why at all so um that helped me get away from using all the parameters and re-optimizing 
when I realized that there was no cause and effect to, to which set of parameters would do better in the future. Um, but in terms of the, the broad concept, I mean, like that, that slide that we showed earlier, the, the, the strategy that was mediocre from 2010 to 2019 and then did well in the last two years. Um, that's, that's an example of me going back and revisiting what I used to do. Um, but, you know, overall, I've, I've actually traded relatively few types of strategies in my, in my career. So there aren't, there aren't that many to go back and review. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Thanks for answering that one. Um, here's a question from Ola. Hey, Ola. Put this one up on the screen. Do you adjust your position sizing depending on a strategy's performance? A little bit. I, I don't, uh, I, so far I haven't made that as part of the strategy itself. Um, although I actually, it's something I want to play with because now, now with my software, I can, I can actually backtest that pretty easily. But, um, but I, I have done, done, done it ad hoc a little bit. Uh, as, for example, in, um, in 2020, I reduced the position size a couple different times of my mean reversion strategies as I saw the volatility increasing uh, after the March uh, breakdown. So, so the answer is yes, but not systematically. I mean, mm -hmm. so, something about me in general is I'm completely systematic and mechanical at the individual trade level and almost completely discretionary at the system design and, and implementation level. Okay. I've got a question here that kind of leads into what you're just saying. This one's from Jones. Let me pop that one up on the screen. What was the pro process by which you initially developed the strategies you use? Um, well, the first the first strategies that I used for 15 years, uh, I didn't even really develop them. I, I learned them from Gary B. Smith, who I had mentioned earlier, uh, who and um, the, and I, I first started building the backtesting software because I wanted to, we were using discretionary entries and mechanical exits, and I wanted to be able to test the exit rules for the entries we were actually taking. So I, I did that. And then that led me to want to start trying different variations of, of the entries to see if, if I could make it rule-based and, and it kind of evolved from there. Um, the, the mean reversion strategy ideas I actually hadn't heard of mean reversion trading until I started looking for new directions in 2013 and joined um, Stockbee and was, was was posting on there about the trouble I was having with my systems. And a couple of people recommended I look at mean reversion. So I got a few books and started testing that concept. And at first I wasn't comfortable with it, but I just kept, kept testing it and trying it and then traded it live really small and got comfortable with it. Um, more recently, yeah, I got an, I got another, uh, got another idea of, uh, of a trend following strategy that, uh, from, um, from some people on stock B also. So yes, ironically, I get some of my better ideas from discretionary traders. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. We've got a couple of questions about your software, which we'll, um, come back to, uh, at the end. Here's a question, another question from Yen. Okay, let me put this on the screen. How do you differentiate from tweaking an existing system and it becoming a whole new system 
But now with recency bias to the current regime, which is bound to fail as the regime changes. Um, well, I mean, I, I think it's kind of a continuum, really. I mean, it's there's the smallest kind of tweak would be taking the exact same rules, but just changing a parameter. Uh, you know, the next level above that would be maybe adding or subtracting a rule or two, but but most of the rules are still the same. Um, I mean, like for for example, I, a uh, if you take this strategy that looks for a breakout on unusual volume from consolidation in a strongly trending stock, and and you enter on the breakout day versus entering the next day if it pulls back, that's a tweak. Um, and that might make the difference where one version works well for the next year and the and the other version works terribly for the next year. So I wouldn't even think of that necessarily as a regime change. Mm. Um, in in my experience, I haven't I haven't experienced the the idea where where the regime change it completely breaks a strategy. Uh, well. Maybe maybe not my old ones in terms of how they entered, it stopped working. But um, yeah, okay, sorry, not a not a great answer. But <laughs> <laughs> no there problems, no problems. Okay, this one is from John. Thanks for the question, John. Uh, could the speeding up of the markets suggest a shorter term optimization and backtesting? Yeah, certainly. I mean that, and that that I've done uh, this year with with adding some shorter term strategies. Um, although my philosophy nowadays is to is to try to encompass everything because you know in some ways things could slow down again, um, or um, you know even for example even in in even this year, you know, there's been a couple of weeks when. Some of my strategies do great and others do terrible. And then the next couple of weeks, it'll reverse. Um, if I have if I have one overriding philosophy now, it's it's to, to trade several different kinds of strategies at the same time so that that are not all correlated. Mm. Yep. Okay, I got a question here from Thumper Bumper. What a great name. I'm not sure what it means, <laughs> but I like the sound of it. <laughs> um, let me put this one up on the screen. Uh, and an earlier comment from Thumper said he he loves he or she loves slides. Uh, uh, but this question is: What is the target volatility range or minimum volume for the equities you trade? Oh yeah, I, I, I meant to talk about my my trading universe. Um, mm. I uh, have I've always approached this the same way. But I basically want as broad a universe as possible. So I my, my only constraint is that it's a you know, a regular U.S. common stock. Like I try not to include you know, limited partnerships or preferred stocks or that kind of thing because they don't really go anywhere, and they're annoying for tax reporting. And um, and then I the, I guess use a price and average volume. Um, so like typically I'll want price greater than ten dollars a share and average volume greater than a hundred thousand uh, shares per day. Yeah, and more recently I've also had a generally a minimum volatility requirement of like AT, I use ATR so ATR of at least one percent and for meaner version strategies you want a higher 
a higher one. Some of my meme reversion strategies require at least a 5% ATR. Um, Cause basically the more volatile, the better for mean reversion, which is why you have to keep position sizing small. Mm. Um, but I've never embraced the idea that volatility means risk. So I don't, um, I don't measure it that way. Like I don't use volatility as a risk measure. I, I use it as a minimum, minimum acceptable volatility because I'm not interested in trading things that aren't moving. Yep. That's fair enough. Uh, we've got a question here from Jones. What about your use of indicators? Do you, um, are you reliant on indicators? And if so, what do you like? Um, I use very few. I mean, my, mm. most of the, the, the rules that I use are, are just based on, uh, you know, price changes, like, uh, what is price done versus its recent versus the lowest, the lowest price in the last 10 days or something like that. But, uh, as far as the indicators go, I think the best ones are all the ones that Wells Wilder developed. So ATR, um, RSI and ADX, basically those, uh, those are the ones I'm most likely to use ATR in particular. Um, is uh, that, that plays into a lot because it, it, I mean, okay. So that I'm going to contradict what I said earlier when I, about volatility, I do, I do, I do use ATR a lot, but I use it more in, in measuring, you know, like, how do you, how do you define an unusual move? So in ATRs is a good way to, to do that. Mm. Okay. A question here from John. What, oh, let me put on the screen so you can see it. What is the practical difference between a diverse system of, sorry, my screen just jumped. Where's the comment? Diverse system of simple systems and a complex optimized single system. Well, it, I suppose it could boil down to us, uh, to semantics. If you, if you have had a single system with all these different rules so that it, that it effectively, uh, was you know it's like if the stock breaks out and does this then then go long or if it pulls back this much then go long i mean you're kind of combining a breakout strategy and a mean reversion strategy in one system but um i find it most useful to uh to define them each as a separate strategy in my software and then you can see their their equity curves independently and see how they interact and even look at the correlation matrix and so on and uh by, by letting them be separate things uh it's 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 easier to easier to test yeah sure so it's more of an implementation but yeah at some conceptual level it's the same thing i guess mm. yeah okay well, i tend uh, to use the oh, word sorry. system as to mean a collection of strategies and then and then an, each individual strategy is like this what you might call a simple system and when you combine them all together, that's the system. Right. Yep. Okay, we'll do uh, one more question here from Simba, and then we'll um, we'll address the questions about your software and start wrapping it up. So this one's from Simba. G'day, Simba. Thanks for joining us today. Hey, Marston, do your systems look at the overall market regime and trade differently, or do you prefer to use multiple robust strategies that behave the same in all regimes? Um, I don't currently use any, um, regime. Well, that's not true. One of my, one or two of my strategies, uh, re require that this, okay, let me back up. 
I don't use an overall market regime filter to say, okay, the market is now bullish. So therefore I'm going to overemphasize these strategies and underemphasize those. I don't do anything like that. Um, I've always kind of taken a bottom up approach. So I won't, I'll, I'll take individual stuff. Like I'll use a, a longer term trend filter on individual stocks within a strategy, but that's different from market regime. Um, but but that will mean that that strategy will tend to not find very many. Like if something requires, um, you know, that the, that it's above a two hundred day average, it's not going to have any candidates when you're in a major bear market. So it's it's another way of implementing a regime filter is to do it at the individual stock level. Uh, and the advantage of that is when when one sector is in one regime and another sector is in a different regime, you can still trade trade the one that's favorable to you. Um, so I prefer the bottom-up sort of approach rather than a whole market regime filters. Yep. Sure. Okay. Now we've also, had a- all of my oh, my strategies are short term. You know, my holding period is only five days or so on average. So um, regimes at that time frame are, uh, are it's a different story. You can have regimes within re- within regimes. <laughs> Okay, well, we'll start wrapping up here. You've had a, there's been a couple of questions about software. So can you um, share how people can find out more information about that and perhaps even get in touch with you? Oh, sure. Yeah, I, I did at the beginning of this year just decide to start marketing my backtesting software. And you can go to mhptrading.com. And um, yeah, there it is on the screen. And Everything you need to know about it is right there. You can see an overview of it, read the documentation, uh, get a free trial. And um, I also run a, a forum, which is only for people who are using my software. I keep it gated. Um, but it's 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 not just uh, how to use the software. It's a, There's pretty good discussions about systematic trading in there as well. Um, so it, it's kind of like a... A community of, of users of it so yeah i welcome anyone who's who's interested in this to try it it's many people who have struggled with something like ami broker have found real tests to be a lot easier uh, doesn't really require programming the way i like to say it is if you can um if you can build an excel worksheet with cell formulas that calculate some things um if that's not a struggle for you, then you can probably learn to use real test. Uh, you don't have to be at the level where you can build a whole framework in Python or or like write a compl- complex uh, VBA macros in Excel. Uh, so okay, so I think I saw a question in the chat about a scripting language. So it doesn't need a. You don't use a scripting language. It does. It it does have its own scripting language, but it's not a programming language really. It's just a way of Real test is kind of like a very general purpose uh, trading system model, and the the scripting language is providing all the inputs to it. Um, but any of the inputs can be a formula, and the uh, and the formula can can be you know any expression, kind of like in Excel, you can put practically any formula you want in a cell of any complexity. Um, the same way with real test. So like a, a formula, like, you know, one of the inputs would be entry setup, which is basically the condition which makes a stock an entry candidate on a given day. And you can put anything you want in there, any combination of typical indicators or, or, or whatever. But 
it just has to be expressed as a as a formula, a one-line formula. Although then there's something called the data section where you can um, build up more complicated calculations, kind of like adding columns to an Excel worksheet. Mm. Yeah. So, okay. So that's kind of the level it's at. Yep. Yeah. All right. And so people can find out more information on mhptrading.com. So we'll have we'll also have a link uh, just below the video. Did I say that right? MHP trading. I love yeah. it. <laughs> makes it much easier to, to know what the actual letters are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I thought I'd, maybe I said MPH, which is obviously not your initials. So mhptrading.com. Um, yeah. Thanks a lot for today, Marston. Um, I feel like we only really scratch the surface of uh, what you can share, but we've had a lot of comments in the chat today. So, um, yeah. Do you have any final comments or statements before we finish up? Yeah, thank you. I, I agree. We only scratched the surface. Um, I, I tend to do much better in in writing than speaking. So uh, there's a there's a lot of interesting stuff in my user guide. And um, one of these days, I'll stop working on the software long enough to start a blog because I, I do feel like I have a lot that I want to write. And one of these days, I'll make some uh, tutorial videos and so on that will be useful as well. But um, yeah, you know, right now, try it. You'll like it. Is what I can say. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, thanks for sharing. We've got a couple of thanks in the chat. So I might just share a few just uh, while we finish up here. So Jeff said thanks. Um, some good questions from Jeff and John. And here's RDE. Thanks for taking the time. So yeah, um, lots of love for Marston today. Thank you very much. And uh, don't forget to hit subscribe and like if you enjoyed um, the content today and make sure that you don't miss out on anything in the future. We'll be back next week, so uh, 7 p.m. Central USA time, and uh, we'll catch, catch, we will catch you then. <laughs> My mouth has just stopped you, working Andrew. all of a sudden. Yeah, thank you very much, Marston. <laughs> Thanks, everyone, for joining <laughs> us today. Have a great week. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the Better System Trader podcast. The next step is to head over to bettersystemtrader.com for more expert tips, practical advice, and exclusive content. Catch us next time for even more great ways to improve your trading here on Better System Trader.